and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their firsthand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another exciting episode, because today we're bringing you our take on ChatGPT and AI and college applications, like how to resist the temptation to turn to ChatGPT for help on personal statement or supplemental essay writing. So I brought in Zach Harris today to speak with us. He's a former admissions officer at Johns Hopkins, among many others, and he's an associate director of counselor enrollment and communications at Ingenious Prep. And he had such great advice to share with us like this one. Your application is like a book. And every part of that is a chapter. It has to connect in some way in order for that last piece of the application to make the most sense. And that's really ultimately what we're trying to do. So even if ChatGPT like worked to some degree, it doesn't know about the rest of your application. So even if it spit out something that, to your point earlier, may be undetectable, it's still going to sound weird and sound off because it's not going to be personal really in any way. I'm truly so excited for you all to take in what he shared today. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Hi, Zach. How are you today? I'm doing great, Noel. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. And now before we begin, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Yeah, of course. So I have been in admissions basically since I graduated from college. So this is my, not to age myself here, but like my 17th year working in this field and in this industry. I started my first 10 years working in admissions offices. So I was at GW, um, Hopkins, Bowdoin, and wrapped up my career in admissions at Regis College, which is outside of Boston. My current role is Hearts FAO, working with students and navigating the college process. My technical role is Associate Director of Counselor Enrollment and Communications. I'm navigating sort of our internal communications with our staff and serving as a liaison between the education side of our team, but also the business side of the company as well. Perfect. So I know you work closely with our students because I see the emails that you send to all of our students. And I saw that you recently sent an email to our students cautioning against the use of chat GBT in college applications. Can you share with us what you're noticing with the current scope of chat GBT in college application work? To be very honest with you, it is an uptick of students that are using it, but not really using it in the way we want them you know, to be using it, hence why I sent the warning email that I did. But it's, I think, getting into this area of copying and pasting into a prompt or into a personal statement. Colleges are going to be seeing this and high schools are already seeing it as well, too. So I think it's an interesting time period to be in right now. And from the college end of things, certainly going to be a, a reaction, you know, sort of to the uptake and, you know, what that means for admissions you know, we're going to find out soon enough. Right. And of course, it's a new technology and colleges are already starting to work on programs to catch plagiarism. But also on the flip side of that, you're also seeing newer programs saying that they're creating undetectable AI writing. What is your response to that? I don't believe that there's anything 
that's undetectable. Like, I think that is a great marketing phrase to be used, but I highly doubt it actually is a real thing. What I notice when I've had students or that I've had to talk to like about this issue, they, I think, forget that they have written a certain way. So then when we see something that quite frankly looks dramatically different and most of the time it's actually like way better, it's pretty easy for us to say, hey, I don't think that they did this. Let me run it through a copy leaks or let me run it through like another AI detector. It's not going to be easy to get away with this. We don't want to be in a situation where a student gets a letter or whatever it might be that lets them know, like, have you caught this and your application is no longer, you know, in play. And I know at Ingenious Prep, we have a very holistic approach. So whenever we get questions like, oh, can we have a former admissions officer review just the personal statements, for example, we always try to remind our parents why we take into account all parts of a student's application. But let's say they're not convinced. And of course, we're in a world where everyone is turning to AI for help on quite literally everything. What is your response to students going to ChatGPT for help in their personal statements because they think that will be the key to getting them into their dream school? It's not going to work. That's number one. And I say that sort of flippantly, but it, it's also the truth. I was having this conversation in a meeting the other day where we were reviewing personal statements of applications that had been admitted to this one particular school. And a lot of us in that meeting were like, some of these personal statements like aren't like they're okay, <laughs> but they're not like the best we've ever read. And these students were submitted to a top tier institution, which just goes to show you that personal statements, it's not the only thing that admissions people are caring about. I think even more so now, the supplemental essays carry, I would even say more weight because these are questions that the specific colleges really care a lot about and have crafted for their own purposes. So what we're trying to do is really navigate who are you as a person? What makes you different and what makes you stand out against other applicants? So it's never just, oh, we're only going to be talking about this today. Like everything connects. I sometimes say like your application is like a book and every part of that is a chapter. It has to connect in some way in order for that last piece of the application to make the most sense. And that's really ultimately what we're trying to do. How does your academic interest, your future college major connect to your supplemental essays, which connects to your activities list, which connects to your future plans, which connects to your, per like every aspect, even all the way down to the classes that you're choosing from grade nine to grade 12 plays a role in the way the admissions officers are going to be making those decisions. So even if chat GPT worked to some degree, it doesn't know about you right? Like it doesn't know about the rest of your application. So even if it spit out something that to your point earlier, may be undetectable, depending upon the service, it doesn't know you, right? So it's still going to sound weird and sound off because it's not going to be personal really in any way. And that's ultimately what admissions officers are caring most about is certainly the academic profile of a student and what they've been able to accomplish, but more importantly, what are their motivations? Like what inherently do they want to do to make an impact? And that's just not something that an AI can pick up on. Love that answer. You had a ton of great points in there, especially how our former admissions officers really take the time to learn about our students to present them in the best light, which clearly ChatGPT cannot do. But do you mind walking us through the process of when you start working with a student? What does it look like when you're helping a student develop their application persona or their underlying connective theme? 
and figure out what it is that would help them stand out. Yeah. So I think for us, it really starts with getting to know the students as well as we can. So if they're joining us in 9th, 10th, or even the beginning of grade 11, we have a little bit more time to really navigate reflection exercises and have, you know, really important conversations about a variety of topics. When I'm traveling and giving presentations like this, you know, the families want to sort of, you know, dumb it down. Tell me, like, what could my application persona be? And tell me, like, right now. I can't tell you that, like, right now. Like, I know nothing about your child or about you if it happens to be a potential student. It takes time and patience to sort of develop that core of what we're trying to do. So when I'm training staff or the staff that I manage, I'm always thinking about, okay, what major are they going to choose? And what is the payoff to that major? How are they going to make an impact? What matters to them? Sometimes in what we're doing, like a first draft of a persona, it'll read something like, oh, you know, Noah wants to be um, a biologist who really cares, you know, about the environment. But my comment to people is, but to what end, right? Like, why does this matter? What have they done in the past connected to this larger goal? Why will an admissions officer care about that? No matter what order you're reading the application in, the hope is that you're constantly compelled and consistently excited about the things that you're reading. And I think that's the hard part that families don't often get is that they get very, and I'm sure you see this all the time, is they get very hung up on the quantitative part of this process. Like I was talking to one of my own kids the other day and we were just talking about, you know, sort of SAT strategy. And he was like, well, I want to take the SAT again. And I was like, yeah, but another 30 points is not going to matter, like on your application. Like I just, I know it's not going to matter. And I think families want to control the things that they can control and they can't control the decision. There's very little of admission that you can control. So in many cases, like grades and SAT scores become the things that they're like, we're going to put all of our effort and energy into, and that's what's going to happen. So they could took the SAT again, got the 30 points that he wanted. And I was like, yeah, that's exciting. And internally, I was just thinking, yeah, but I wish we had spent that time where he was studying, like working on his personal statement and working on like these supplemental essays. And I only do so much to provide my expertise in my guidance. But I think that's oftentimes what ends up happening is that these applications become so one note. But families come to us with the academic first approach. And when we talk to them about not doing that, it's like we sort of blew up their whole mind with the framework that we're coming from. And again, I do understand that, but I think it's just such a critical part of this process. Like people that I admitted who I'm still in contact with today, I have no clue like what their SAT score was like. I worked with a kid that I got into Bowdoin from Tennessee. Uh, he's like a congressman from Tennessee. I um, mean, is in their state House of Representatives. And I don't remember like what his grades were. Like, I don't remember like what his SAT score was, but I knew he was going to be a boss. Like I knew he was going to completely change the world. And he's like on CNN right now and like just doing like amazing things. And that's my point. When we're sort of thinking about people from the admissions perspective, we're not thinking about them as numbers. Like we're thinking about them as people and stories and experiences and what they're going to do when they step foot on a college campus. And I think that's what we try and tell families all of the time. And we then tell students about that all of the time. What story are you telling? How is this going to come across to an admissions officer? That's such a great point. And I think that brings such a different perspective to how families should think about and approach college applications as a whole. 
And I'm curious, especially for these personal statements or essay writing in general, what is your biggest piece of advice there? Is there something you see a lot of students miss or maybe a misconception here as well? I think one of the biggest pieces of advice or a critique that I often give with my students and others is there's not enough detail within what they're choosing to write about, which these AIs, it can't do. Like, I think part of their benefit is that they're able to give everyone the same answer to some degree, which is like a whole other issue. We actually had a colleague of ours who was trying this out. I mean, she used one of the prompts of a school that she used to work at and put into these AIs to see what would happen. And one of the things that was so interesting is that it spit out very similar answers. So it's a whole other reason to not do this. There's part of the personal statement, which really can only come from you. What did you learn? from this experience? What did you take away from the experience? And some of the best personal statements that we work on are oftentimes from a very specific situation or come from a very specific anecdote. And I think that's something, again, that AI can't do, right? It doesn't know your life. It doesn't know your experiences. It doesn't know your stories. These are things that we tell everyone anyway, but specifically when it comes to the AI, you know, add to admissions this year. We're saying even more because, again, the whole point of the personal statement is to be personal and to learn as much as they can about you. If the thing you're putting the prompt into doesn't know you in any way, it's just not going to be able to give you something that is at all connected to your application or to you really in any way. I really love that last point, and I'd love to dive a little deeper into that, especially the point about putting a little bit more of yourself into the essays to stand out. Can you share more of your strategy for that? When I am sort of navigating, brainstorming, outlining, or even looking at complete draft, I'm always thinking about what context would help an admissions officer be excited and, and give them just more like about who you are. So many of our students have these really cool experiences and they don't think that they're compelling because so much when we look at ourselves, we oftentimes as people just like dumb down those experiences or think it's happened, you know, a multitude of other people. And most of the time it hasn't, right? So I think so much of our work, again, getting to know people so well, when we're looking at these experiences, not lines and draft, we're able to say, oh, but you told me about this. Like, why aren't you writing about the other thing that we talked about? Or, hey, like in your outline, you mentioned this. I want to know more about this. Write me a paragraph only about this experience so that I can pull from it and then add it into the essay. So there definitely is like a balance. So you want to be able to create enough story and context so the AO can see themselves like in that situation with you. But they also are going to care more about the after effect of that. And what is your brainstorming process like with students? So when you sit down and you're getting to know them, you're chatting with them to be like, tell me about yourself. Tell me what you're interested in. Can you share what that process looks like? Ultimately, it's really about just asking a ton of questions, really navigating academics, personal life, family stuff, course choice goals, just like asking a ton of questions. Or when we're getting closer to application season, then it's about taking what we've learned and then giving them reflection exercises where they're writing down some of this, answering certain questions. One of the things that we'll often do, which I think is super helpful, 
is give them examples of prompts from colleges that they can actually just start to draft. And it may not even be a school that they'll end up applying to, but for someone who's a little bit younger, this can be a really good exercise. And we learn so much from why do you want to go to this school or what major do you want to apply to? And then our job is to think about all of that information and then really start navigating idea generation, having the student take a part of that obviously as well, but us pinpointing, hey, this could be an interesting supplement. Let's start writing. And I think that's the piece that is the hardest part is getting kids to actually write something down because they want it to be perfect. They want to get it done the first try and are often frustrated and critical of themselves when it takes a lot of time. But for our students, we're looking at 10, 15, 20 different drafts of a personal statement. And like a draft could just mean editing line by line or doing something that's relatively simple. Um, but it's a lot of time to do th this type of editing. But getting words on paper is a really important step because it allows us to edit that. It allows us to say, hey, this is too much. Hey, this is too little. Um, but it's a necessary step to be able to get a full-fledged draft actually going and feeling good about the direction that we're going in. And along with that, I know previously you've helped me write some of our supplemental blogs. So when it comes to personal statements versus supplemental essays, I know one of the advice you gave me was that students should never repeat what's on their personal statement in their supplemental essay responses. Can you share some more strategies on the difference in how students should approach both personal statements and supplemental essays? When we're thinking about a personal statement, we're thinking about a long form essay, 650 words. You have space, you have time to put in an interesting story. You have time to develop a hook. You have time to transition slowly into an idea. You just have more time and space. Supplemental essays are 150 words. Maybe if you're lucky, you get 250 words. But even that longer version of a supplement, you still don't have time for any of the things that I just talked about that make a personal statement really good. Think about your beginning, middle, and ends of your supplements. Start in the middle. Like you, you almost have to move away from the introduction, just like jump in to answering the question right away with a supplemental essay. They're asking something super specific all of the time. So why do you want to attend this college? What major are you choosing? Talk to us about an activity that really means a lot to you and anything in between. It's really just about navigating the prompt and what it's asking and jumping in right away and really removing sometimes the fluff that can make its way into a personal statement. With a supplement, every word, every sentence plays a major role in the execution of that essay. And then it has to be specific, no matter what the prompt is, it has to be detail oriented. And I think especially when it comes to like why major essays or something very similar, you have to be digging deeper. It can't be, I click on, you know, this college's website and I do one click into the major and that's what I'm going to write. You have to do like 25 clicks. Like you have to go deep into um, the website and attend information sessions and do a lot of other things that help you learn about that school. So you're writing about something that maybe someone else didn't know about. So I think what supplements so much of what we end up giving feedback on is the level of specificity and detail, which I know from the student perspective is probably 
really frustrating if <laughs> they're already providing something specific and then we're saying, oh, that's not specific enough. But at the same time, when you read so many of these essays, you sort of know how much time they're putting into it, what an admissions officer is just reading about, you know, time after time after time. And we want to go, obviously, in a different direction. So again, I think both essays play a really significant role in the process, but the approach to success is really different. And I'm curious, are there any cliches that are absolutely overdone in both personal statements and supplemental essays? Everyone wants to be a good person and everyone wants to write about something that is objectively like a good act of citizenship. And I'll never tell someone like not to write about something like that. I think the problem, though, is the execution of how it happens. And I think oftentimes, it becomes this, oh, I helped like this group of people that I'm so happy that they're happy that we helped them. There's a fine line because again, people who are involved in service at a very high level, they likely will want to write about that. I think we, you know, pick up on phrases and words and tense in a way that is really helpful for a student because they don't always understand like how they're coming across in an essay, not always about the story that you tell, but how do you execute in a way that is well-intentioned, in a way that is powerful, in a way that an admission officer is compelled by. So some of the work that we're doing is about uh, certainly line by line edit, but it's also about how do we shift the narrative in a that is still really authentic and very genuine, but also helps you come across in a way that your initial writing like wasn't doing so. Perfect. Do you have any last tips here when it comes to personal statements and supplemental essays you'd like to share with our listeners? If you were an ingenious family already, my best advice is to listen to your counselors. I think ultimately, you know, as a company, our only motivation is to help. Like this is from some of the counselor perspective, like a very like altruistic approach to the process. Like my paycheck is not dependent upon where you get into college. My performance review is not based upon where you get into college. Like I'm here because I want to help students. And I think my colleagues would say exactly the same thing for people that are not part of the ingenious community already. I think it's about realizing the benefits of our approach. I think so much these days is about quick. How can you make me a better applicant tomorrow? What can you do next month to make sure that my kid is better now than they were last week or the month before? And I would just say our approach is about long-term goals. And in short-term goals are included in that for sure, but it's really about who are you as a person? How can we help? Some of my favorite stories from my own experiences with my own students are kids that I started to begin working with in grade nine. And this one kid that I'm thinking about right now was super shy. And our meetings were an hour long when he was like 13 years old. And I have said this to him before, so I'll say it here too, is it was sometimes like a struggle. And it was just really hard for him to explore and reflect and all the things that the college application process is so much about. And by the time that he graduated from high school and got into college, he was talking more than I was. He was a campus leader at the school that he went to. And like those are the experiences that we think about. Um, he had great results, obviously, when it comes to admissions. But 
I would even say more importantly, like he became a better person. And I'm not like taking ownership or credit like over that. Like I think I played like a part in it for sure. But it was because we gave him that space to grow. I think that's the thing for the non-IGP people who aren't part of the community already is trust that approach, you know, to the process and embrace that. Because I do think it's something that you can see and hear other companies talk about the results and their approach to the process. And it's quick. And it's, you know, we're going to do this and promise you this and guarantee you this. And I've been with this company for as long as I have been, um, and I'm not paid to say that this is literally legit, like how I feel about it, is that we really are the opposite of that. Like, yes, we're proud um, of our results and we will talk about them um, as much as anyone else does. But, but I also think there's like this underlying component of that, which is built on the care and safety, even like of our student in a way that puts them at the forefront of our decision making, of our curriculum, um, that I think you know, the results speak for themselves. I think something that we're really proud of. Thank you so much, Zach. This was an incredible episode and I'm sure our listeners so appreciated your insight. You had so many incredible things to share. I just have one final question here before we end. If you could give one key piece of advice to parents and students, and this can be about anything college applications, what would that be? To parents, I would say to them, let your child's navigate this process in the way that best suits them. And I say it that way because I think parents are invested personally, financially in this process. We totally get it. But I have seen so many times in my career where a student is excited about a path, major school, whatever the situation may be, and the parent has their own agenda. And that ends up infiltrating the entire body of work that we're trying to do. And you can almost see the student's motivation just leave their body. And it then becomes just like a massive slaw to go through this process. So I get that it's hard, but this is the kid's application and their name on it. And I think ultimately, in order for them to do the best job that they can, taking a more hands-off approach can often be the best approach within this process. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.